Jewish Money Matters, episode 261, The Pursuit of Greatness with Rabbi Shmuel Reichman. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. Do you have to have a dramatic life experience to find your true calling, to discover your potential, to achieve greatness? Today's guest, performance coach Rabbi Shmuel Reichman says no. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today's all about performance, greatness, and well, money. Rabbi Shmuel Reichman is on a mission to help people wake up and give them permission to embark on a mission to serve the world as the greatest version of themselves. That is, instead of passively waiting for the wake-up call to come from heaven. Where does money fit into the picture of living a life of greatness? Not Hollywood-like greatness, but greatness from God's perspective. Greatness following the Jewish blueprint for life, the Torah. The definition of money, the potential pitfalls of the pursuit of money, and the paradox we're constantly navigating. A little bit more about Shmuel. He is the CEO of Self Mastery Academy and the author of the best-selling book, The Journey to Your Ultimate Self. He's also a sought-after speaker who has lectured internationally on topics of Torah thought, psychology, and leadership. He has a BA as well as Micha ordination from Yeshiva University, a master's degree in education from Israeli Graduate School, and a master's degree in Jewish thought from Bernard Revel Graduate School. Rabbi Reichman spent a year at Harvard as an Ivy Plus scholar and is currently pursuing his PhD at the University of Chicago. Before I bring him on, I want to give a shout out and a huge thank you to my husband for his wonderful editing efforts and trying to fix some big mess up and flop on my audio. We don't know exactly what happened, but he has really um, gone through great lengths to ensure that you get the best possible listening experience despite my big mic fail during this interview. So thank you again. Hope you enjoy this episode. Here's the insightful Rabbi Shmuel Reichman. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Such a pleasure to be here, yeah. It's really incredible that our paths didn't cross. I, As I was telling you before, it seems like they did, but because we've been in the same events, same sta- stages, we never really got to meet, even though we're in the same places and in similar platforms. So it's really great to finally connect in person. And there's so much of your work that I can relate to and admire. I know you're going to have so many beautiful insights for my listeners. To brag a little bit about you, although I did that in the intro already, you're a performance coach. You're the CEO of Self Mastery Academy. I'm sure you're going to tell us a little bit about that soon. You're also an author of the best-selling book, The Journey to Your Ultimate Self. And of course, you're a highly sought-after speaker. So with all that, I'd love to get us started actually from the beginning, the beginning of the career path, your career path, which I understand has to do with a series of challenges that happened in early adulthood, maybe even in your teenage years. What happened then that set you on this career path? 
So first of all, Yael, it is an absolute pleasure to be here, and I am a huge, huge fan of your work. Um, I think the career path of what I currently do, there really is no career path for that. It's like when you tell people what you do, you can usually give a very simple answer. For me, I've kind of uh, crystallized it down into I'm striving to become the greatest version of myself and help other people do it as well. But when I was younger, I wanted anything but to be doing what I'm doing now. When I was younger, I had no vision for myself, no real goals. And I wanted to be a normal kid. I mean, when I was in high school, I saw myself as being a doctor and living a very normal life. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I didn't want to be out there inspiring the world, inspiring Claudia's trying to make a difference on a massive global scale. I had a very small vision for myself. Then everything changed when I went to study in Israel for, for a couple of years. And yes, the studying in Israel itself was fundamental, but it was more what happened as I entered into that stage of my life, which was that my life fell apart completely, completely <laughs> fell apart. So there were, you know, minor struggles I was going through and, and those were, you know, started to make me think, what am I really here for? But then one day I felt this pain in my stomach and then that pain shot to my head and I passed out. And I don't know if you've ever passed out before, but the way it usually works is that you just wake up. But this time something different happened and I had passed out before. So I was expecting to just wake up. Uh-huh. I felt this struggle to come back to consciousness and and I thought I was going to die. I, I genuinely thought I was going to die. And when I finally came back to consciousness, I went to the doctor. They had no idea what it was. And I thought it was a fluke accident. Like maybe I eat something, maybe something happened, go back to my normal life. It happened the next week. How old are you, Shmuel, at this point? I was 17 at this point. And you're in America? You're in Israel? In Israel, studying in Shalavim. Mm. And so imagine, right? A kid alone in a foreign country. And then this started happening for months. And I literally thought that I was going to die. And I would just cry out to Hashem and say, like, well, why are you doing this to me? Like, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not trying to kill anybody. I'm just trying to live my life. Why are you doing this to me? But I also started asking myself questions. Mm. Like, if I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, what am I doing with my life today? Mm. What am I actually doing with my life? And because I might die, maybe I can try to see what I'm actually capable of while I'm still alive. And I started to explore. I started to question the things that I do, asking why questions. Like, why do I hang out with these people? Why do I believe what I believe? Why do I do what I do? Why do I eat what I eat? How have I built myself? And I realized I never built myself. Mm. What this did is it basically shattered me, but allowed me to pick up pieces. Mm. And I started to explore, started to see what am I capable of intellectually, spiritually. I started to exercise every day. I started to teach myself instruments. I started to engage in a Vodas Hashem and serving God in a way that I'd never experienced before. And I devoted my life to two things, to trying to become great, but more importantly, trying to discover what is greatness. Mm. As I went through that process, I started to read, I started to learn, I started to seek out rebellion and mentors and teachers and coaches. And I started to explore and I started to impact because as I started to develop myself, I started to realize that I'd not only have the ability, but the responsibility to share everything that I was learning with those around me. I started out very small and I started to build. And once you go down that path of becoming a lifelong learner, of 
having this endless desire to grow and to see what you're capable of and devote that to something bigger than yourself, which is the essential concept of Odessa Hashem, is mm-hmm. everything you are to something bigger than yourself, to Klai Israel, to your community, to Hashem, to the Jews. Your life becomes so much bigger than you. Right. And it led me on the most incredible path. And I would say that it started out purely as I want to teach Torah. That was really it. Like the business model, the thought leadership model, building, uh, you know, on, like, I, ha- I didn't have an entrepreneurship bone in my body when I started. Mm-hmm. I was purely the creative, purely the intellectual, the philosopher, the spiritual, the person who literally can sit in a room by himself all day, every day, forever. And just think <laughs> ideas, think about Hashem and like not engage, not build, you know, building a business. Not only is it not my comfort zone, like no, like my parents are professionals. My grandparents are professionals. Like no one in my family was an entrepreneur. No one was teaching me how to build a brand, how to build a business, how to market, how to, you know, tell your story in a way that draws people in, how to make content go viral. This wasn't something I started out doing. And it was more that I had this endless passion to inspire and not just the fluffy inspirational inspire, but to share the deepest, most profound transformational concepts and ideas and principles to make wisdom, genuine Mm -hmm. viral. Because what I found when I started is that most intellectuals do not know how to inspire and connect with their audience. And most inspirational speakers are not intellectuals. They don't have a lot of content. Mm -hmm. If you bridge that gap, then you can do something amazing. So that's how it started. But what I started to realize is that number one, to make, to get people to actually listen to the content is a whole journey, right? You can have incredible content and have two listeners for 50 Mm -hmm. years, right? Mm -hmm. The the science. It's not like if you build it, they'll come. That's not how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever said that. (laughs) Did not experience entrepreneurship. We know that. (laughs) Truth is that there was a time where that could have been true. Time where the only people who were sharing content were the people who had content worth sharing. Mm -hmm. And nowadays you're competing with a billion notifications. You're dealing with literally an infinite level of competition. So you can't just be the best. You also have to find out how to connect with audiences and allow Meaning there's so many things. There's literally being seen and there's getting past all of the no's before people say yes. Yes. So you are dealing with so much competition. Nowadays, anyone can write a book. Anyone can give a lecture. Anyone can share content. So to build momentum and to impact and inspire and really feel like you're actually making a difference in this space, you can't just be the best. You have to be obsessed. And you also Mm -hmm. have to be obsessed with the journey of constant failure to tweak and learn what works and what doesn't and to enjoy that process. Mm -hmm. So, once once that became the journey, I, you know, my identity is still as a rabbi. My identity is still as a teacher, as someone who is an aspiring Talmud Chacham, wanting to learn and connect with Hashem, but I became an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. the goal became to build a brand that represented an idea. And the idea is the deepest, most transformative, impactful content in a way that's accessible, inspiring, and transformative. Mm-hmm. And harnessing the use of social media, 
media, harnessing the use of all platforms, WhatsApp, email, website, all of the different social media platforms, going around speaking to different Jewish communities, writing a book, figuring out whatever it takes to inspire one person at a time. Mm-hmm. And over the course of years, you start to go from literally no impact to having an impact. And people think it just is magic. People think that it happens overnight or that you know, either have it or you don't. It's an endless journey, but it's yeah. a journey that those who make it past the other side of nothing's working, you get inspired to just commit and go well and devote the rest of your life to it. So you know, I, I've enjoyed every step of the process. Have there been things that I absolutely hate doing? Of course, that's, that's what it takes. But it's been an incredible, incredible journey. There's so much here for us to unpack. And just to highlight a few things that you've alluded to, you know, the fact that like, as you said, you embarked on this path that God evidently, you noticed God set you on this path. And evidently, you didn't know the how, right? And we get to we get so stuck in trying to figure out, well, how do I do that until I know how, right? And it's like, what you're suggesting by narrating this is no, I knew there was a why like I felt that it was like I could not not go after that. Why? And I just knew the what in front of me, how it was all going to work out. I have no idea. I was I was doing it messy. Well, you know, no, I, I always tell my students, well, we'll we'll fly the plane while we're building the engine, right? Like if you have a clear mission and you have God on your side, you just go, you just do it, right? Exactly. Let God figure out the how. He's already done that for us. <laughs> so much, so much here, because I guess, Shmuel, one of the things that I noticed is that in your story, you had this wake up call. And it was like you said, this, this, this moment where you started asking these deep questions, because you were potentially facing death on a constant, like, wait, I mean, am I going to come out of the next episode? Like, what's going to be the next time this happens? Maybe I'm not here another day. So what's my life? What's my purpose? What what do I do? What is the legacy um, I leave, right? All these questions. And so often we see that for inspiring people and thought leaders and all that, they've had this big, huge, massive wake up call, this big transformation, right? That really like, you know, like unleashes this, the change, this big change, right? So my question to you is, do you think we all have to have that big wake up call to really reinvent ourselves or to find ourselves to discover, to tap into that great potential that God knows we have? So that is literally the question I began asking myself. When I, when I first started, <laughs> I used to you know, travel to different communities, speak at conferences and events at dinners. And I used to share my story as a way of connecting with the audience, building rapport, sharing why I do what I do. And at the very beginning, people used to come over to me and say, so until I have a near-death experience, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm doomed. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So my goal was to say the exact opposite, which is that I'm trying to give you the wake up call to simulate the experience of what that's like. So you don't have to have the near death experience, right? Because most often people wait for Hashem to wake us up. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole essence of a Nisayan, a challenge, which really is designed to just redirect you, recalibrate you like a GPS, get you back on track. But if you can do it yourself proactively, you don't need the wake-up call. So my goal is like every, people see like world-class speakers, entrepreneurs, Urbeim, Godolim doing incredible things, and they convince themselves that those people are different. Right. Uh, right? Those people are genetically 
different. They have different circumstances, different abilities. They're gifted. They're naturally talented. I'm normal. And I'm just going to do small, normal things the best way I can do. But I, I, I can't expect greatness of myself. And my underlying message is that when I was a kid, there was nothing great about it. I was mm-hmm. you know, slightly above average. I was a goody two-shoes. I never, ever did anything extra. I never mm-hmm. pushed myself, never had any aspirations to do anything with my life until I began really seeing what I was capable of. And once that started, I woke up and I wanted to wake people up and say, you're not truly living until you're pushing yourself to the max. The entire goal of my safer, the journey to your ultimate self is designed to take people on a step-by-step process through the deepest and most incredible ideas of Torah thought based on Maharal, the Ramchal, Nafshachayim. Plenty of Tanya-based concepts, by the way, for everyone nice. the audience who's uh, who's very connected to Chabad. By the way, I love Chabad. I speak at their annual JLI conference very, very often. Uh, I know. That's where we cross paths. <laughs> of course. But the goal became that the goal of Torah is to lead you towards your true purpose. Right. It's not giving up who you are to serve God. It's becoming everything that Hashem created you to become and devoting that to Hashem, to Klaishal, to that which is bigger than yourself. So as opposed to giving yourself up, it's literally the journey of self-discovery. It's understanding who you are, what your tafkid is, what drives you, how you learn, how you think. It's building yourself. And the safer aspect of my system is the Torah principles, the Torah concepts, how to understand the connection between the physical and spiritual, which I'm sure we're going to delve into a little bit as we talk about money, which is one of the most least understood and most controversial topics of living a great life. Because anyone Mm -hmm. who's driving and wants to become great has to check off the question of what, where does financial success fit into the story of Jewish greatness, of Torah greatness? And you will hear contradictory approaches from everybody. And the question is, what are the principles? Where does the, you know, money is bad, money has potential. Where do you really find the balance between those ideas, which I'm sure we'll delve into. But my mastery course, Self Mastery Academy, is designed to synthesize those principles of the Savior with the principles of high performance, of positive psychology, of self-development, of actual living Torah, not just learning Torah, not just thinking about Torah, but how are you going to build the best marriage? How are you going to start taking better care of your health? How are you going to become more self-aware and disciplined and get internal harmony and inner peace and really feel like you're living your purpose with passion and excitement? How are you going to show up as your best? How are you going to learn how to build goals that work? Instead of just thinking of life and growth as a bunch of small strategies and tactics that are literally unprincipled and you just, you know, here's the one thing that will change your life, there's a wisdom to growth. You know, science, chemistry, biology, there's a science to the physical world. There's also Mm -hmm. a system to mastery, a system to growth. And when you peer past the surface of it's all about willpower, it's all about your network, or it's all about, you know, this, it's all about that. And you start to say, what's, how can I start to become more thought out? How can I start to actually be disciplined enough to take my life seriously Mm -hmm. so that I can respect myself, respect my time, which by the way, like how much do you charge an hour? How much do you respect your time? Like how much do you actually value yourself? Because if you want other people to value you, talk about financial success. If you want other people to value you, if you're wasting your time binge watching, eating unhealthy foods, hanging out with the wrong people, feeding yourself negativity inside and out, then why would anyone outside of you value you if you don't? So when you start to get your life together, you start to really build momentum. You start to understand who you are, which is the recognition that there 
is something to discover. There is a you that you haven't yet, you know, come in touch with. And that is literally why Hashem created you is to, you know, the entire Sefer that I wrote is based on a famous Gemara. Which uh, one? And it's the most powerful Gemara. The Gemara says that when we were in the womb, we learned Kola Torah Kula. We learned all of Torah. And just right. before we were born, the Malach, the angel that taught us all of this Torah, hits us and we forget everything. Mm-hmm. The Moral, the Gon, almost at the time, everyone asks the same question. Why teach it to us in the first place? If we're going right. to forget it, what's the purpose of teaching it to us? So some of the Bali Machsheva, the deeper Jewish thinkers, they answer that you didn't forget it. You lost right. access to it. And what was it? This Torah wasn't just Chomish and Rashi. It was, number one, it was you were being shown the purpose of creation itself. Hashem was literally showing you why He created the world. But more importantly, you were being shown your unique purpose. Mm-hmm. And you were being shown who you're supposed to become, what you're designed to become. You lose access to it so you can come into this world and build it for real. So the journey of life is literally going back to your fetal self going back to your perfection. And once you understand that, you understand that when things click, when you're like, I like that, or that really means something to me, that's not just random. It's you're getting right yourself. When you hear an awesome right. idea and you're like, whoa, like, I don't know how, but I recognize that. It's like, yeah, you learned it already. You're just, you're gaining access to, to unconscious elements of yourself. And then you start to say, what am I really capable of? What am I really designed to do? So as much as I love speaking on the public circuit, when I do coaching with clients, it's amazing to actually personalize principles with people where you get to see people light up. You get to see mm-hmm. people on this incredible journey of exploration, of growth, of pushing past the limits, of taking their success, whether you know it's a CEO, an entrepreneur, someone just starting out, and they just hit a plateau. They just think that this is who they are, which by the way, so many people, I'm sure you've come in contact with so many people who they just have lost the excitement and the the possibility of more. They just have settled and said, like, this is yep. And yep. they think that, like, by the way, leaders do that more often than non-leaders because they achieved a level of success that most people already think they're successful. So they end up mm-hmm. and they end up spending the rest of their life just riding off of previous successes and they're not growing. And when you stop growing, you just stop living. Yeah. And one of the greatest superpowers of a human being, especially, especially a mentor of Binos Torah, is to fall in love with learning. A Talmud Chacham which is a Torah sage, literally means a Talmud of Chachma, a student. Nice, a student. But you're brilliant. You know everything. No. No. The greatness in Torah is realizing is there's an infinite spectrum of growth. And the whole purpose of life is to take that journey. You were never mm-hmm. done. If you're done, you wouldn't be here. Right? If you're done. Yeah. Yep. So good, Shmuel. And I hope listeners are getting just the fact that, oh, this is Torah. You don't have to look for these things elsewhere, which is One of the many ways that our work is compatible, where we see that Torah is the truth. We're just illuminating it for you. The fact that it's always been there for you. It's in you. It's so close to you. You have it. I'm just showing you that it, that, that you don't have to go to Kathmandu. You don't have to go to that guy. This it's right here. It's right here. And it's yours. It's your heritage. So, so, so good. Now, as you very well said, it almost sounded like me speaking. I always talk about, you know, these two beliefs, beliefs that people that you were talking about you feel that oh you something something clicked like oh I'm onto something I'm attracted to this path in life right and some of us then take that clue and say oh God is guiding me in this direction God gave me an affinity towards that um 
that has has presented that situation for me and it clicked. And many of us, unfortunately, don't explore that. And we go back and cling very, very strongly to the following two beliefs. And there's iterations of these, but this is how I usually articulate them. One being, who am I to do this? You alluded to that, right? Who am I to do this for you know, uh, it's for other people like me. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I wasn't given that, right? Or I could never make money doing that, right? And people cling to these lies and then they're just like, they let it, like, how can we help them get past? I, I think you already did, but maybe we'll, let's explore the money piece because I feel like that's one that holds people back a lot, right? Like we tend to think, no, let I have to be practical. I have to be responsible. But then there's a part of us that has that need to strive for something higher and we feel it. And then we just let it go when we you know, like, it's like, there's, there's that. You see, I'm saying, you see what I'm saying? How can we help people, you know, get past that, especially in, in you know, we, we train kids to go first for the, I think we have a backwards small, we train ourselves or we train our children to go first for the money. And if you find your mission along the way, then you're great. I mean, I know, I know it, that's not how it works, but just go for the mission I've given you. You have it. You you have something unique that I need you in the world for. The money's going to be there. I promise you. And we don't believe it. So I think limiting beliefs end up becoming the ultimate limitation in life itself. So a lot mm-hmm. of people, they don't believe that they're destined or worthy of greatness. They don't believe that it's worth it. Meaning what if they go through this entire life journey of struggling and trying and just wasn't as good as they thought it would be. Other people are just scared of what other people think of them. Oh, yeah better than us you think that you can do all these great things oh by the way we get married to it has to be a struggle you just mentioned the word it has to be hard it has to be struggle and if if i'm not suffering that's not life what do you mean exactly it's like you go to the gym (laughs) and if you're not struggling you're not making progress the only way to make progress in life physically spiritually existentially is to push so some people Mm -hmm. don't want the pain which by the way it's much more painful to stay in the misery of your current situation than to push forward and see where you're capable I just want to let you know that whoever's out there thinking like, maybe it's too painful. I guarantee you it's more painful where you are. Yes. I think that the best way to frame the concept of this model, which is, by the way, there's different models, right? There are creatives, people who are more artistic, people who are passionate with the realm of teaching, impact, ideas, influence, people who are more entrepreneurial, people who want to actually just be you know, business-oriented leaders. But the question in, in Judaism in general is where does this lie in the realm of truth. Mm-hmm. Where, where does monetary monetary success, money, financial growth, how is that different or contrary or in alignment with spiritual growth, right? Usually it's binary, right? Usually right. you're either spiritually great or financially successful. Or so and, we think. Or so we think. And by the way, you have to ask another question, which is what's the relationship between, we like to kind of break it down spiritual versus physical. And money always gets put in the physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Money is not physical. Money is actually very much in the center because money is the most spiritual. The concept in you know old Jewish thought is that spiritual represents that which is more ethereal, more transcendent, more abstract in the realm of infinite, the realm of potential. Physical is something finite, limited. It's just this. Right. 
money is the most spiritual physical entity. It's literally potential. It is mm-hmm. nothing other than what it could be, which is anything. So we like to just stoop it into the you know physical because you know you can actually look at your bank account and it says a number. It's finite, but it actually resides in. Uh, you can you can give other more spiritual physical entities. Wine is another very spiritual physical entity. All, all physicality decays with time. Wine gets better with time. There are many different you know deep ideas of of learning how to think in a more nuanced way, as opposed to just physical or spiritual. There there are hierarchies, there are categories, there are Madrego's levels. You know, if you learn the Tanya, there's like fire, candle. Yeah. So, so beginning to open your mind up to abstraction and uh, and being willing to approach the question anew, because the first and most fundamental problem with money is that people have an unconscious attitude towards it. Uh-huh. Unconscious. And we're not aware. We're not aware. If you grow up poor, you are taught consciously or, or unconsciously to hate money. And the reason why is because if you're poor, you have to rationalize the reason that you're poor. So it must be that living a good life is independent of money. And one way to approach that is not that it's not that money isn't the only way to live a, a meaningful life. It's that you cannot have money right. to live a meaningful life. So then you end up demonizing money. So this is a poor person mindset. It's also a very spiritual mindset, right? Because money has potential danger. So why is there potential danger money? So everyone likes to just say that and move on and say physical versus spiritual, but it's more than that. Because in addition to the fact that not everyone has it, it's very easy for someone to spend their whole life pursuing money instead of spiritual growth. Right. And the reason is really, it's twofold. Number one is that it's very hard to quantify spiritual growth. How do you really know if you're making progress in your marriage? How do you really know if you're making progress in your connection with Hashem? Mm-hmm. How, how can you measure your growth in your midos and your character traits? How can you measure your growth in your self-awareness and your presence? So yes, when you start out, it's like, whoa, I wasn't, I was getting angry every day. Now I'm not getting angry. But if you continue to work on it, like finding that incremental growth, that infinitesimal growth, when it's literally invisible, you need hyper self-awareness or you just give up. So the analogy I like to give is that when you build a sculpture, you're you're sculpting a human being, you start out, you cut off a giant slab of stone. It's like, whoa, that was big progress, right? Then you cut off another slab, you start to see like the the shape of a head. It's like, whoa, like I just like worked on the media. I just improved my marriage. That's amazing. But then you start to like perfect that nose you start to work on the eyes and it's just so you're making such small growth that you're like am i really doing anything more mm-hmm. when you're fine tuning yourself it's it's you have to develop the, the skill of self awareness to see the improvement right but it's easier to just choose very quantifiable growth so you can see your bank account mm-hmm. you can see how big your house is you can see what car you drive and a lot of people they basically replace their inner worth with their net worth. And they end up basically pursuing quantifiable growth. And it's the biggest illusion of I'm becoming better because you're actually building up more walls between you and yourself. You're literally ignoring yourself. That's why most people who are wealthy are so empty and they're Mm -hmm. so existentially empty. They aren't even willing to look inside because they've just given up on that pursuit. The second potential pitfall of pursuing monetary growth is when it's for money's own sake. Right. There is this human desire for potential. So when you want to, it's the, the classic story of old of the miser. It's the person who literally gains their self-worth by having power and potential, but not wanting money for anything other than money's sake. So what ends up happening 
is that you become obsessed with money, but you don't end up becoming obsessed with actual growth. Right. So that ends up, those are two categories of the, of the negative. So it's very, very, very easy to just stop there and say money is negative, which by the way, a lot of people will say that. Mm-hmm. But then problems. Like number one, every Jewish family needs to pay for tuition. You have a lot of you know Shabbos bills. We have big families. We have like, you need money. So now you're living with a very small level paradox, which is that I hate money, but I need money. Right. It's bad, but I need to have a lot of it. I can't work for a living or I can't pursue something that will make money. Definitely not the passionate pursuit of becoming successful, but I also need to make a lot of money. So mm-hmm. now you end up just like with, you know, a, a fundamental internal contradiction. Right. Most people never ask because they don't think it's a real question. They just say, mm-hmm. that's, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. But the Maharal opens up this topic in the most amazing way. For people who've never heard this, the Maharal explains that everything, everything in the world is potential. The more power, the more potential. So mm-hmm. you can use, let's say, electricity to charge uh, you know, an appliance mm-hmm. and you can also get a little shock, right? But if, let's say, you have 22,000 volts, which is lighting up a community, that 22,000 volts, which is giving electricity and light and warmth and life to a community, can electrocute, right? If, if it's misused. So the more potential, the more it can be used for the good or for the bad. So money has this infinite potential. And the concept of it's bad is not true. The concept of it could be bad. It could be misused. It's dangerous. Same thing with internet, same thing with social media, same thing with all these things. It's pure potential that can be so corrupted, so misused that you number one need to figure out how it and if you're going to approach it. But you also need to think about number one, what is the negative and what is the positive? So until you clarify, you're basically making a judgment you adopted without actually thinking it through. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you learned Gemara, there were Nassim, there were there were Tanayim that were wealth throughout Jewish history. There wasn't just Yusuf and Zavul, it wasn't just people learning versus people making money. There were people doing both. Yeah. Then you have to ask yourself, well, why doesn't everyone do it? What What's potentially holding people back from doing it? And how do I actually, like, let's start with very, very simple principles, which is what is money? Everyone mm-hmm. start off with, you know, physical versus spiritual. Physicals, you know, bad, spiritual is good. Let's start back. What is money? Money fundamentally is an expression of value. Yeah, right. So two things. Number one is that the story of making money is very much a reflection of the story of becoming valuable. It's a story of growth. As in, the more valuable you become, the more money you make. Now, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be so because you cannot charge for your services. But in the the story of money, people want to make a lot of money. They just want to make money. They're they're waiting for like the course they'll take, the quick fix, this, that. Become great. Become great at what you do. Find what you love. Find what you're great at. Find what you're passionate about. Go all in. Become the best at what you do. And you you'll start to realize that the more valuable you become, the more you impact everyone you come across in whatever field you pursue. That's the concept of making more money. It's not a great business. It's becoming someone who is capable of providing the value. Think about what you pay for. Absolutely. You pay for for things that you want. Become the type of person who literally will change people's lives in whatever field. Right, right. And that's the question. So now- We're never selling price. We're selling value. And we miss that piece. Why are we? Well, you're not communicating the value so that people get what the value is, or you haven't found what the value proposition here is, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then in a more spiritual sense, you start to take a step back and say, what's the Torah of money? As in the Torah, like think about the famous Midrash, Rashi Kosas Midrash, the Yaakov Avinu went back for the Pacham Ketan. Right. Small vessel, risked his life. He's like, you know, a couple of 
tickets, literally a couple dollars. Rashi says that he risked his life because that was something that was part of his property and he valued every single thing he owned. So now you ask a question, like, okay, Yaakov Avinu, the Yaakov Avinu, literally, we're called Klaisha, B'nai Yisrael. Yaakov mm-hmm. is willing to sat- risk his life for $25, mm-hmm. maybe $100, maybe $1,000, risk his life. But now you have to say, like, what is that? Why? Well, where does that come from? It comes from the realization of what things are. What's ownership? When you have money, when you have a belonging, when you have a car, when you have a house, what is ownership? You have a very limited amount of time in this world, right? You wake up every single day with 24 hours, 86,400 seconds, and how you use them becomes a crystallization and actualization of potential. Whatever it is you acquire with your time becomes an expression of you and your potential. You yep. learn Torah, you do gemilas chasatam, you help people out, you connect with Hashem, you daven. All of those are building yourself. They're an actualization and an expression of what you could have become. As an everyday, you start out with, with infinite potential. You can literally do anything every single day, but whatever it is that you end up doing becomes an expression of you, becomes part of you. Right. If you make money, that money is a crystallization, a finite expression of your potential. It is literally you. Now, you might, take, you might need to pause this and take some time to think about that, but that money is literally your time crystallized and expressed and translated into value. And mm-hmm. unearned money, that's a different question, but when you earn money, you're basically... That money now is an expression of your potential. When you now, there's a very famous Maimah Chazal that there's two ways to get into Olam Haba. And we're not going to talk about Olam Haba now because Olam Haba is not like, you know, some, you know, you get rewarded for what you did. It's literally the Ramchal, the Ramaharal, the Ramban, all the Bali Mashab talk about how in Olam Haba you experience the person you became. You literally walk out of your body. Right. It's not like you get like these external rewards. It's everything became the ideas, the ideals, the values, the inner world, who you crafted yourself into. But a part of that is also the impact you had. And there's two elements of the Torah that you impacted. That's why a husband and wife get the equal share of Olam Haba for the husband's Torah learning, because the only reason why the husband was able to learn the Torah is because of the support that Ezra connected with, the teamwork, the shared mission. It's the same thing for Yisachar Zulu. Because what happened? Two people had time. Two people translate at time. One person learned, the other person made money. But the money that goes to support that learning is the very same fundamental cause of that learning happening, so they actually are equal partners. Now, is right. it better to be the learner? For many reasons, yes, which is why when you support Torah, you also want to still be learning Torah. You also still want to be building yourself. Don't think that you can uh, you know, get the same experience. You can get the same schar, but not the same experience. Like, First of all, what about your own haza? Like, what's your right. in this world? Who are you? What's your meaning and purpose? What, what do you fill your mind with when you're by yourself? What is it like? What's inside of you? So that's a different Absolutely. Thing. But the reason why Yaakov you know, went back to the Pachman Katan, because that was an expression of his potential. That was literally part of him, which is when you learn so realm of Torah of ownership and stealing and nazikin and damaging. The reason why your things and your property are so much connected to you is not just practical, it's fundamental. It's literally everything that's, there's layers of self. There's your neshama, which is your actual self, your inner world, your inner consciousness, your inner identity. When you say I, anochi I, referring to yourself. There's your body, which is not you, but it's a part of you. And there's your clothes, how you express yourself in the world. And then there's all of your things. Those are layers, categories of self. To think that your things are just, you know, yours and, and without mm-hmm. it, why? like, why can't I take what's yours? It's not because you own it. There's no rule. It's because literally it's a part of you. It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not like a social agreement. If you have Western thought, the reason why I can't take your thing is because we don't want to have a world where people will take other people's things. In halacha and Jewish thought, I can't take what's yours, not because it's not right. It's because it's literally right. yours. It's literally a part of you. It's not an agreement. It's fundamental. So which by the way, you know, 
Rabbi a Dithyasod, in the halacha of marriage, Kedushin, it's called a Kenyan. So everyone, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on there? You're buying your wife? That's horrible. But what's a Kenyan? A Kenyan is a fundamental spiritual connection. In the realm okay. of, of halachas of ownership, when you make a Kenyan with someone, you're, you're fundamentally, spiritually, metaphysically connecting yourself to that entity. Right. In marriage, you are creating a metaphysical, spiritual, halachic connection between two souls. It's the, the highest level of you literally are entering into a shared union of oneness. It's the ultimate. Mm-hmm. So you change the whole Torah of Kinyanim when you understand this on a deeper level. So that changes everything. But then once you understand what money is, which is an expression of potential, an expression of value, you get paid your value. Then you have to ask yourself, okay, but why do I want that money? What's the underlying purpose of value of money? The underlying purpose of money is impact. Mm-hmm. underlying when people can just wrap their mind around that like why is money so controversial because there is this pursuit of money for its own sake of wealth for its own sake of people just building fancy houses and having their ego ego the wrong type of building of self right but when done the right way money equals impact in the world Absolutely. everything in this world runs based on value appropriation value transfer on the ability to fund and support things. You, let's say you're, you're just a, a bala bias, a bala bias, right? You, you run a house. What's your impact? You're sending your kids to school. You're putting food on the table. You're running your mini universe. Yep. What power, what kolach, what potential? How do you do that? You need money. Mm-hmm. So in the realm of external impact, how are we funding schools? How are we funding organizations? How are we supporting the poor? How are we taking care of the sick? How are we taking care of everyone? How are we building a community of growth and inspiration? and Torah and that, how are we striving to literally bring the world to its ultimate destination with two things, with Torah learning and internal content and the, the tafel, but equally important in a certain sense, physical and finite expression of impact, which is money. So right. When you realize that money becomes a partner in the deepest sense mm-hmm. and on a personal level, Money also allows you to control your impact. Mm-hmm. So when people aren't making the money in any form of these relationships, they are very much mishubed. They're controlled by the person who is making the money. That's a deep thing to think about because in a lot of these Yisachar's relationships, for example, let's say when I started out, I had not a single entrepreneurial business financial goal-oriented part of my life. No. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to do was to teach Torah, learn Torah, and I basically said, I'll go the normal route, right? I'll become a rev of a community, I'll get hired by a community, I'll be a mechanic, teach in a high school, I'll pay the bills. But the bigger my vision became, the more that I wanted to do more than just teach a daily class, I wanted to inspire Klai Yisrael, I wanted to inspire the world, I wanted to travel and impact on a massive global scale, I realized that it would be impossible unless I, finan- unless I financed my own mission. Mm-hmm. If I didn't, here's the way it works in, in the impact industry. Most creatives, intellectuals, spiritual oriented people, they realize they can't monetize easily. And what ends up happening is they struggle tremendously. And most will just give up their passion and pursuit, find a normal job and support their passion on the side. That's the standard model. Others will say, no, I'm going to keep at it. But they'll get to the point where they literally can't pay the bills and they'll sell it. 
They mm-hmm. will give up their original passion and ideals to figure out any way to monetize what they're doing. Other people will go the find someone to support me, right? So someone will support their mission, finance their vision, but it ends up then becoming the person who financed it. It's really their vision now because they get to say, I actually don't want you to do this. And actually, can we tweak this a bit? And actually, can you change this? And let's change the name of the lady. Let's, let's actually, you know, cut that one out. And you end up like looking at the finished product and it's not yours. It might, mm-hmm. like, might not even have your name on it. Maybe it has your name on it, but you don't want it to have your name on it because it's not you. So right. you end up going in so lishma, wanting to, whether we're talking about music, we're talking about Torah, we're talking about, you know, inventions, any of these realms of, of creatives, of people who want to impact in the realm of the more, you know, creative, right brain thought or creativity oriented industries. 99.99999% never make it just mm-hmm. the nature of the industry those that do most sell out and because the vision that i had was so it was so much bigger than me i said to myself i'm going to do whatever it takes to figure out how to become financially independent so that whatever it is at whatever stage that i want to do the level of of torah impact the types of share i get how i write my svarim which am I right? In what order and how I'm building it and how I'm building my courses and my curriculums and how I travel to communities on my schedule and how I do things the way that works for my family. And there's a way that, you know, we can set it up and implement it. I'm not living someone else's life. Mm-hmm. Very much an expression. And when you're doing it, L'shem Shemayim, when you're trying to be an Eved Hashem, when you're trying to teach Torah and inspire Klai Yisrael, then you have that why, like we talked about, like you have that, that, there's a great line, he who has a why can overcome anyhow. Yes. Why you're doing it. Yes, I can learn how to build a brand. I can learn how to market. I can learn how to sell. I can learn how to build a business. I can build, I built my own website. I do all like, it's like, it's an immersive, all encompassing expression of, I know I'm doing it. I want to inspire, impact and help as many people as I possibly can. And whatever it takes, Mm -hmm. whatever it takes, I'm going to be able to do. Now, has there been moments on the road? Of course. Look at like when you believe in Hashem, when you are willing to walk into the unknown, but you know why you're doing it, then it's it's not only incredible when it works out, it's incredible along the journey. Yeah. Live a life where you're not just going through the motions, paying the bills and surviving, but you are living in a realm of thought and emotion and physical growth and spiritual growth, financial growth. Yes, there are setbacks, but you push forward and you're on a, it's, it's the greatest quest. And what type of life do you want to live? Do you want to live a life where everything's okay? Or do you want to actually see what you're capable of? And everyone has those moments of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what, what, what if I actually tried? What if I actually tried to see what I'm capable? love but then that thought goes in the back of their head like no you can't do that like what makes you think you can do that you you think you're different you're not going to be able to succeed what in your past makes you think that your future can be different and we just kind of like keep that voice quiet we keep our like dreams quiet we keep our our real purpose quiet until the next dinner speech until the next seminar until the next inspirational book but what if you actually tried and one of the things i love trying to do is you know again waking people up and saying you are literally here to see what you're capable of to go on that mission towards your greater self. And most people are waiting for permission. Yeah. I want to get permission. So here we are. We are giving you permission mm-hmm. time to wake up and go on that journey. You know, God gave you permission the moment he put you on this earth. That's it. 
Exactly, exactly. And one of the beautiful things of the journey, as you mentioned, that the journey has bumps in the road and all that, but it is beautiful. It's is that we get to see God's ashkaha, God's hand revealed, revealed so clearly when we trust and we go on that path of let's go, like, let's go, lech lecha, literally lean, lean back and say, okay, God, you're here with me. You're catching me. I'm doing this, right? You see, it says, it says very clearly in Hasidus and in Chavos Alavavos, it says that the more we trust, the more we see God's intervention. It, You know, people say you have to, when I see it, I believe it. I'll believe it. It's not when you see, you believe. It's when you believe, you see, right? And it's so interesting that you're going back to your initial story. God is just so incredible how he set up this wake up call in the land of Israel. I don't know if you noticed that you probably did. But we know that when we're when we're in Eretz Israel, there's that there's a higher I, I don't know what's the word to use to to put a heightened awareness of God, um, of and Hashem of Ashkachas of, of God's Ashkacha. And, and, and he put you on on this path of questioning exactly in a place where the answers were there, the Rabbanim were there, the Shi'orim were there, all of these tools, right? And and your sensitivity to Ashkaha, to see Hashem is heightened because of where you are. So it's just so interesting. God always does what he, he always knows what he's doing. You know, you could have had the same experience in America and it could have been a much longer path of finding yourself, right? And yet look how it was all set up. Isn't that interesting? That's a really interesting thought. And, you know, Avraham is actually a great role model for this type of life because Avraham's Lechacha journey, which ultimately you know took him on this incredible journey. I mean, I I named my safer the journey to ultimate self, but also the subtitle is Lechacha mm-hmm. because Hashem tells Abraham Lechacha, but he doesn't tell right. him where to go. Right? Why? Go to yourself. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he tell him where to go? And the answer is that when you're going to yourself, when you realize Avraham was given challenge after challenge, and the Ramban explains it wasn't so Hashem can see what Avraham was capable, but so Avraham can see what Avraham was capable. Right. Literally bring out his inner potential. You have no idea what you're capable of. If you tell your younger self, 10 years younger, you tell them who you are now, they wouldn't even understand what you're talking about. Go to a kid and try to explain them any deep principle that you understand now. They'll hear like lollipops and candy, right? Their, their mind can't grasp right. the sophisticated nature of your current processing system. It's the same thing for you. You have no idea what you're capable of. And I think Avram is actually also a great model for what we're talking about in terms of money. Mm. If we if we ask, what did Avram bring to the world? What would almost every, especially if you ask an, an Orthodox from Jew, what, would, what did Avram bring to the world? Almost everyone will say what? Unity of Hashem, believe in one God. Monotheism, right? Mm-hmm. But wasn't Noah alive pretty much around the same time? Shem and Eva were teaching Torah the same time, you know, Adam Harishon had a very, very personal relationship with Hashem. Right. Adam was not the first person to come up with this realization that God exists. So everyone asks, what was Avram's actual uniqueness? Once you get mm-hmm. to that, it can't be monotheism. You have to ask, there has to be something more. So people give different explanations. Some say that Shem and Aver were teaching Torah in private. Right? Avraham was the first real Balkir. He went out right. to the masses and shared it. But some of the deeper Jewish thinkers, they explain that Avraham had a very different philosophy than Shem and Aver. Shem and Aver lived in the Dor HaMabal, Dor HaFlaga. They lived in the generation of the flood, of people who were rejecting God, rejecting Hashem. So they ended up saying the only way to live a spiritual life is to live that aesthetic 
transcendent, removed life. Right. They didn't go out in public, not because they were, you know, private people, but because they said the only way to be spiritual is to remove from the physical. And they were the Buddhists who meditated on their navel in the sense that they didn't engage the physical world. And Avraham said, that's not the oneness. That's not the oneness. Why? Yes, right. the physical is potentially dangerous, but the highest level of spiritual truth is not spiritual versus physical, but it's the Ramchal, say that Estakal Barisa Barama, Hashem used the Torah to create the physical world, which means the physical is not something created, it's an expression. Right? You look at a tree came from a, a, a seed. You look at a human came from a zygos, which means what? Mm-hmm. That the expression comes from the source. The Torah is the source of the right. world, which is the Maharal explains that word are mitzvahs. Mitzvahs come from the notion of tzavta. Mm-hmm. Why? Because how many mitzvahs are purely of the mind, intellectual, spiritual mitzvahs? You can literally count them on your hand. Like, believe in Hashem, don't serve idolatry, don't be jealous. Almost all mitzvahs are physical. Mm-hmm. In, eat matzah, in a mezuzah. All of these things are physical things. Why are we such a physical people? Because mitzvah is connecting the physical to the spiritual, realizing the physical as an expression of the spiritual. Is it potentially dangerous? Of course. But is it ideal? Is it true in the highest level? Is it absolutely oneness, realizing that the physical is fundamentally spiritual. You have to transform the physical into the spiritual. You have to r- reveal the spiritual right. the physical. You have to show that the physical itself is fundamentally spiritual and living a spiritual life in this world. We don't say be celibate. Not only is marriage a mitzvah, provu is mitzvah, like bris mila. We take the most physical organ of a human being and we say, no, this is something that can be kadosh. Not because we're transforming, we're revealing the fact that the physical is fundamentally spiritual. It's the same thing with money. The easy way is the shame in every way, which is physical or spiritual, business or Torah. You can only sit and learn in Torah. You can only be a, you know, financially successful. You have to choose one model. And if you are learning Torah and engaging in money, you're going to fail. If you're engaging in money and you're learning Torah, what are you doing? Like make up your mind. It's a very binary, you know, A or B, chesed or din. Real teferes, real real harmony, real synthesis is understanding balance. Now within that balance, you can lean towards one side. So someone who mamish, their tafkid in life is to sit and learn and there are levels of sitting and learning. But let's say you're going to get a job. You can find out in today's day and age how to monetize your ability, your skills, your content, your brilliance and learn how to become successful. So you're not constantly, constantly struggling and stressed about how to put food on the table. Right. And if you're financially successful and that's your skill, that's your tafkid, you're supporting Torah, make a seder, sit down and learn, start to build your mind, start to build, not Absolutely. Seder, but becoming Torah. And when you live that way, it's, it's also the beauty of Tzedakah, by the way. So the beauty of Tzedakah is really a synthesis of everything we've been talking about. Because when you realize, number one, that money is an expression of you, it's an expression of your potential. And that number two, Rav Dessler explains that naturally we are fundamentally selfish. And the reason why is because you only experience your own thoughts, you only experience your own emotions. You can't really care about someone else. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what they're feeling. You live in your own little bubble. Mm-hmm. The way to love someone someone else is not to love them, but to actually expand your sense of self to include them. Mm-hmm. You do that, you do that by giving. So the root of ahava is have to give. Why? Yes. Because when you give yourself to someone, let's say, um, why, why do you love the ideas you come up with? Why do you love uh, any drawings or any ideas, any creative ele- expressions of yourself? If you wrote a piece of music, if you came up with a great pitch, anything that a uh, great devourer, why do you love it? Because it's you. It's, it's literally mm-hmm. an expression of you. You love everything that's, that's part of you. When you give yourself to someone, you're ex- you're basically expanding your sense of self. So why do people love their children? 
You give them your time. They're literally an expression of your physical genetics. You give them your time, your energy, your money, and you give them yourself. And you literally are expanding your sense of self to include them. Marriage is the greatest paradigm of that, where you literally expand your identity, where you remain an individual, but you're also now part of a collective identity of the shared self between you and your spouse. And mm-hmm. how do you really build that? You build that by giving yourself into the relationship. So on a metaphysical, spiritual level, the oneness already exists. But when right. you give yourself you're tapping into the awareness of that oneness. And how do you love Klai Yisrael? You can't give to every member of Klai Yisrael. So yeah, yeah, obviously Yisrael love, but I, I've never met this person. Right. But when you devote your life to Klai Yisrael, when you give yourself to Klai Yisrael, you love Klai Yisrael. Now, anyone, any individual product, any individual expression of Klai Yisrael, it's like when you love a tree, you love every leaf, right? When you love Klai Yisrael, you love every individual. So tzedakah is one way of contributing yourself, because your money is an expression of you, contributing yourself to so given that's why mm-hmm. for the Aserah Sameh it's such an important part of the Aserah Sameh is connecting yourself to the cloud, to the Tzibor. How do you do that? One part is Tzedakah. Tzedakah. Because right. giving of yourself into something bigger than yourself allows you to become part of that which is bigger than yourself. So impact is not just on a practical level where you get to basically say, I choose my impact, but it's also how you get to say, this is something that I not only value on a, this is what I want to do with my life, but this is how I really engage in becoming part of something bigger than myself on a spiritual mm-hmm. level. And then tzedakah becomes incredible because you start to realize that everything is fundamental. Everything is real. And I'm part of something bigger than myself. It's not just practical where I work, I make money, I give money, I work, I make money, I give money. But Meister is set up so that you are literally required to become part of something bigger than yourself. And Absolutely. that, by the way, uplifts Adam's curse, right? Adam's curse is you have to make a living. So we like to say that's the worst thing ever. Like, I wish I could just, you know, be a communist or whatever it is. And just, I wish that there was no capitalism. I wish that I didn't have to work so hard to make a living. But think about oh. what happens. Yeah. Think about it, right? Because of Adam's curse, you have to make a living. Because you have to make a living, you have to ask yourself, what am I capable of doing that will bring value to other people that I like doing, that I can be passionate about, that I can become good at? And all of a sudden, the requirement to make a living is an impetus to, for many people, discovering who they really are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. There are people who can do that outside the realm of making a living. But when you do that, you actually uplift Adam's curse. Because you say that the very need to make a living makes it that I have to do something with my life. And now that I have to do something with my life, I might as well see what I'm capable of becoming, which is incredible. So good. So, so good. I have to ask you, Shmuel, um, since you're a performance coach, there's this whole hustle culture. And I'll I'll raise my hand and admit that I'm a big hustler and a, and a big action taker. Um, and it, yeah, you probably know this, right? I, I just, like I said, I'm flying this plane while I'm building the engine. Like I don't have it all figured out. I don't pretend like I do. I just go, right? But there's something to be said for the fact that this whole hustle culture can be a little bit exhausting, so exhausting and, and can go against almost what we're trying to build, right? We want to build a life where we have time for our family and our relationships and, you know, all these important things, right? And sometimes it can get out of hand, this whole hustling. So how can you help us with that? Because there's on the one hand, yes, we have to work hard, we have to give it our all, and we have to put our ishtatlus, right? On the other hand, you know, there's boundaries, there's limits, there's the letting go, and there's the stopping. We have Shabbos that, you know, that gets built into the system for a reason. We have to stop, we have to appreciate. Such a good question. 
such a good question. One of my favorite ways to start out by approaching that question is people like to say like how much established, how much bidachan, like 50-50, right? Like you need to act as if everything depends on you and you also have to realize everything comes from Hashem. Right. right. You have so to good. create the type of mindset that says it does depend on me and live on the other side, which says that yes, but nothing comes from Nothing. Me. Right, right. right? And when you can find, when you can figure that first step out, then we can start talking about how to really build the next step, which is to really succeed, to make it, especially as an entrepreneur, especially in business, especially when you don't come from money, but you're building it, you need obsession. You mm-hmm. need all in, all in, all in. And I like to think of it as you need stages of obsession. The first mm-hmm. stage, ideally, and it doesn't work out for everybody, if you, ha- if you don't have a family, you don't have kids, you're in the perfect situation. Perfect, right? Then you can take all the risks you need. You have no one depending on you. You're not responsible for other people. You can, there's a great saying, which that most people, they quit their nine to five jobs to work 24 seven for themselves. <laughs> that's, that's really what it takes. It's really? A level of all in. 24 six. Yeah. And by the way, number one, Shabbos is, is designed to be Shabbos for everybody. But for the entrepreneur, Shabbos, it means it, it doesn't really matter. If you're not an entrepreneur, you don't really understand this, but Shabbos means something else to someone mm-hmm. who is not allowed to be on all the time. Right. Now the, the, the obsession after the initial stage, which we can talk about the deeper Jewish reason for why you need that stage and then the next stage, but that's a different discussion. The next stage is balanced obsession, mm-hmm. right? So long-term, you need to be, the only extremism that's really, really healthy for a lifelong extremism is being extremely balanced. Mm-hmm. But balance does not mean 50-50. Balance means finding a system that works. Right. So think of your life like this, right? You have your spiritual, your intellectual, your emotional, your physical, your financial, and your relationship elements of your life. And all of that really becomes part of this impact-oriented life, and that becomes the expression of all of those things. Most people are doing well at one, two, maybe three of those. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just like falling apart, right? Maybe they have an amazing marriage and they can't pay the bills. Maybe they're doing financially successful and they don't work out. Maybe you're 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 like you know fitness coach. Maybe you're really good with your fitness, but you don't really talk to Hashem. Maybe mm-hmm. you're talking to Hashem, but you're not growing intellectually. You're not really feeding your mind. Whatever it is, everyone has things that they're pushing on and really that they're they're good at, and they have things that they just have ignored or they just falling apart. Now the key in life is not to listen to the binary approach, which is like only work on the things you're not good at, or only keep going with the things you're good at. But it's to further polish the things you're good at, and then start building up the things you're not good at. Right. You want to find where your weaknesses are, and that's self awareness, which is when you when you love growing, you don't hate realizing what you're not good at. You look at it as opportunity, and you're always looking for ways to grow and improve. So then it's not a question of trying to ignore your faults and your fallacies and all the things that are holding you back, but you want to find it. So one of the things that high performance coaches, leadership coaches, business coaches, executive coaches do is they just help you build that self-awareness. Then they implement, then they inspire, they encourage you, they hold you accountable, they push you, they help you build a system. But the design is that you first need to know what you're actually trying to achieve. If you don't have a target, you're never going to hit it. Right. Most people, they could come up with a target. They just, they, they don't have the willpower to look inside themselves in the right way. Mm-hmm. Once you can do that, then you can start saying that, 
why do I want to succeed financially, right? Family, right? Isn't part of the reason why I want this because I want to live a meaningful, purposeful life, be able to put food on the table, actually support my family. So I'm going to spend all day, every day working to support the family that I love while I ignore them and don't actually talk to them or actually have a relationship. Like, think about that. So most people, they they know that, but they are unwilling to acknowledge that. Once you can actually, that's why there are two superpowers that a human being can have. One is falling in love with learning and the other is self-awareness. Everything in spiritual life comes down to awareness and everything, everything in life is trying to take away your self-awareness. Everything's trying to basically take your attention, keep you surface level, keep you distracted, keep you escaping from becoming more. By the way, the journey to Hashem is not, you know, going as far as you can to the edge of the universe and finding Hashem. It's going in deeper and deeper. Right. right? So the, the, the Russian astronaut who was the first Russian in space, he came back and people said, what did you see? And he said, like, I didn't see God. Oh, like great life. But like, what is he expecting? Like some giant human being, like behind the moon, like, you know, saying, hey, like most people, they start by thinking God is distant, but they realize after they start actually searching that what it means to be close to Hashem is going deeper and deeper into yourself because Hashem mm-hmm. is neshama shel neshama. So he's mm-hmm. the soul of all selves, the self of all selves, the ultimate source of existence. And you are a consciousness, a soul, a self within a body, but going deeper and deeper into yourself, understanding yourself deeper and deeper allows you to then get deeper and deeper into your connection with Hashem, which is the concept of telemelekim. Right. You know, you are a, a miniature chilek al You are literally a chilek, an expression, a, a, a mm-hmm. spark, but understanding yourself in a deeper way allows you to understand Hashem. Right. And that's without getting into, you know, a lot of the, you know, the structure of the human being and how everything is a reflection of something higher. But then you start to say, why am I doing all this? Like, why? When you ask yourself why questions, why do I want money? What am I going to do with the money that I make? Why is, you know, financially struggling not okay? Like, why? Mm-hmm. Why is, Why do I want to grow? Like, what? It, why... What why does it just opens up opportunity for real understanding, real awareness, real depth, real growth. And then you start to live a thought out loud. And with, you know, we don't even have to get into the fact that this is a great way to financially succeed because successful people are thought out, they're brilliantly focused, they're systematic. Yes, they're spontaneous, they're creative, they're ambitious, but they have a system. And to have a system, you have to discover what system works for you. To discover what system works for you, you have to start working on your self-awareness. So everything interconnects. That's why there's a a science to life where it's not just a bunch of, you know, quick strategies, quick fixes, where you start to just get the techniques down. It's when you devote your life to the long-term vision of this is actually the the person I want to become. Mm -hmm. That is financial success. It's not the highest on my hierarchy of whys. As in my greatest why is purpose. It's fulfilling my potential. It's the reason why Hashem created me. And part of that story is financial success, which is the relationship between Iker and Tafel. Right. Where secondary becomes equal the primary when it enables the primary. Mm -hmm. So that's why... You can uplift the pursuit of financial success when you realize why you're right. pursuing yes. And not only spiritually, but you can also then fall in love with the process. Because when you know why you're doing it, you can love the journey. Right, right. Speaking of systems, I'd love to know if there are any any habits, Shmuel, that you practice regularly that you feel have also had a positive impact on your financial life. That's a great question. I th- so, so there there are many. And... <laughs> 
I one time heard a person say, um, speaking at a seminar, and he said, um, whatever your financial goals are, uh, multiply by 100. <laughs> and and everyone in the crowd was like, what? And he's like, you're all expecting, how, how am I going to do that, right? And he said, how you're going to do it is none of your business. Right. It's God's business. It's none of your business. So one thing is just having crazy big dreams, but realizing that goals just simply create a process. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorite quotes is that most people, they don't fail because you know they aim too high and miss. They fail because they aim too low and hit. Mm-hmm. So people have such small visions that keep them very satisfied with, you know, I can do that. And then they end up basically playing a very small game. So one of the greatest strategies that you can have in life is breaking down your small vision of yourself, of your identity, your possibility, your potential, and just saying, what if, like, what if I could achieve more? But an actual strategy, actual habit, and this is something that I help all my clients do, is every single morning, it's really good to prime yourself, really good to get yourself in a state. Because you know, I speak on giant stages. And one of the questions that I had, one of the questions that people ask me is like, how do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you show up with your A game every single time without getting nervous and scared? How, like, how do athletes so how do Godolin give these incredible sheer to the masses without saying, I'm, I'm too scared to do that? There's a great mm-hmm. quote that, you know, the biggest fear in the world is public speaking. The second right. biggest fear is dying. So most people <laughs> think the funeral would rather be in the casket than giving right. the eulogy. It's a great quote. It's just true. Like people, so the key is getting into your state, getting into a state where you basically can tap into the type of experience, the type of confidence, the type of state you want to experience by choice, as opposed mm-hmm. to just hoping that you fall into it. So one of the best ways to get into a great state to start your day is to do the following three primers. So what I like to do is basically have the first three primers the first, the first of the three primers is to have three big giant goals that I'm trying to accomplish with my life. Mm-hmm. I have a 50 year plan, right? So what are the three goals? So it could be in terms of learning. It could be in terms of impact and inspiration and really uplifting all of Israel. It could be financial. It could be my relationship with Hashem. It could be my relationship with my wife. But you want to think of like three giant goals and that orients you towards your future. It gets you excited about what am I, like, what is my life about? And right. then you say, what are three goals that I'm going to have for today? Like, what am I doing with today? That's going to head me towards those three bigger goals. So each of the three small goals should be in the category of one of the bigger goals. So that you're basically orienting your day towards your lifelong mission. And right. then the last three are three things you're grateful for. And what that does is it basically says, despite how goal-oriented I am, despite all the things I want, I am realizing and recognizing how much I already have in my life. Mm-hmm. And what that does also, and the best time to do is right, is right after Modani, right after Nagavasa, right after you thank Hashem for existence. And we say, which is not, we have faith in Hashem, but Hashem has faith in us, which is why he brought us into this world. That's why our neshama came back down. What this does is it basically orients you towards future, present, and past into one. You become basically beyond time within time, right? You're heading towards Mm -hmm. the future, you're present in what you're doing today. You're appreciated by when you're grateful, can't be depressed, can't be negative, can't be resentful. Gratitude transforms your state. And when you're Mm -hmm. alive, there's no, you don't deserve being alive. You realize that you have, literally, can you put food on the table right now? Do you have a family? Do you have a job? Do you have, are you able to think? Are you able to breathe? Like all of these things are not givens. So then you start to be appreciative. Like we love organ donors because they give people life. It's like this incredible thing. Well, every single day, Gosh Baruch Hashem is your organ donor, gave you not one organ, but every single organ you have. Like gratitude just orients you towards the fact that 
I'm not entitled to anything. Everything in my life is a gift. Now I also mm-hmm. have the opportunity, but responsibility to make the most of that gift. Exactly. Big goals. And these are my current goals. So all of a sudden, exactly. a primed, oriented, framed. And one of the things you can do, by the way, is if you want to take this to the next level, is have 50-year goals. Like, what do you want to do with your life? Then have 10-year goals. Like, what are, what's the next 10 years of your life? And how's that going to head you towards your lifetime achievements? Mm-hmm. Your relationships, your finances, your health, your relationship with Hashem, your learning, all those things. What, what are you doing? What are you going to build? What about this year? What are you going to do this year to direct you towards those 10 years? What about this month? How are you going to get those? Right. What about this week? How are you going to head towards that month? What about today? So now you've oriented your life. Will it change? Will it evolve? Will you adapt? Will you edit? Of course. But all of a sudden your life makes sense. And now you take yourself seriously. Take your time. Because most people give out their time like it's nothing. Right. They don't respect their time because they're not using their time. They just want, they want to find uses of their time. Anyone who wants anything, like, of course, like, you know, I was bored. But why are you bored? There's like, you can never be bored when you're good. (laughs) Yes, give people your time, but take yourself seriously. Right. Enough to say that it's a decision how I use my time. I'm not waiting for people to vacuum up my time. My time is literally of infinite value. And you start to really see what you're capable of. Absolutely. And it gets to that sense of responsibility, like you said, and and of urgency, like this is urgent. If God put me here one more day, then there's all these things I need to accomplish, you know, for my creator. It's not for me, it's for my creator, which is, you know, now you're in a whole different level. Now you can really, really get you know what I mean. Let's wrap it up with what I like to call Jewish money matters fill, fill in the blanks. And I'm going to give you an, a few open-ended sentences and you'll finish them with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay? Right? Let's do it. All right. The first one goes like this. When I give my sir or tzedakah, I'd like to give to? I like to give to Torah organizations, yeshivas, schools, things like that. Because that's, nice. for me, that's like my my real Matias Hanashama. Nice. I'd love to make more money because? For me, every everything I make, it's funneled right back in into my system to teach more Torah. So when I coach leaders, CEOs, executives, high performers, you know, most of my clients, uh, anywhere from a five to ten thousand dollars a month, goes right back into my system. So I can be mechaber morsfarim, which costs a lot of money. I can be marbitz Torah, travel. I do most of my speaking for very, and I undercharge for my speaking because I don't need the money from there because I make right. money. So for me, the money comes into the system so it can really support all the Torah that I teach. Right. Support the mission. Very nice. Something I wish I'd learn about money growing up is? I wish I'd learned that. That's a, I'm honestly going to think about that because that's a really good question. I would say that I didn't come from a system of thought that understood how to make money, how to value money outside of the mm-hmm. profession. As in, without the paycheck model, I didn't really even see a possibility of the limitless abundance mindset of how, right. as opposed to, I'm going to basically, by the way, there's different levels, right? There's the poor mindset, which is I hate money. There's the abundance mindset, which is limitless. And then there's the fixed mindset, which is money is good. You need it, but I'm going to have a set paycheck for the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. no, movement, no forward movement, no ambition, no growth orientedness towards that. So I didn't have this abundance mindset until mm-hmm. probably my early 20s. So that's something which definitely fundamentally shifted everything for me. Nice. Something I splurge on unapologetically is? So I would say the I, I really don't spend really any money on myself. I don't, my wife always makes fun of me that I don't buy clothes. I don't really buy anything. Like my husband, <laughs> he would say the same thing about me. My wife says I don't buy anything for myself. <laughs> the only thing I, I really would say splurge on, it would be for special 
special experiences with family. So mm-hmm. if, let's say, you know, going to a restaurant to celebrate something with my wife or really, you know, celebrating, uh, you know, my son's, you know, growth and things like that. Um, I have a cute eight month year old who is- I saw, he's so cute. Uh, but that, that I would say is when you can turn money into the opportunity for something more than the money itself. So mm-hmm. the food, like food's a very, very spiritual thing. You can literally talk for hours on the depth of a chila, what a chila does, it connects your soul to your body. If you don't eat, your neshama leaves your body. But in addition to connecting your body to your soul and your soul to your body, it also allows people to connect. So right. going to a, having a beautiful dinner, but allowing that to be a, not only a memorable experience, but a present experience as in you don't live for the memories, but you create the memories by having incredible experiences. So that's something that I would say I'm willing to spend money on. Mm, small spender or saver? So I grew up as a saver because, I mean, my grandmother was a Holocaust survivor Mm. and very much grew up with a penny saved as a penny earned. Um, But I would say the greatest way to understand money is through the perspective of not spending or saving, but investing. Mm -hmm. Proper spending is spending on something that will make more money. Right. If you understand that, then you play a different game because it is not a penny earned. If you understand how inflation works, penny saved is actually a penny lost. Yes. It's also, you know, why would you spend money on something uh, unless it's like we just said, something really worth spending on. But when you understand how to use money, for example, like I have a business. So this business is very multifaceted. By the way, anyone who's going into business have multiple revenue streams, learn how to diversify, learn how to plant yourself in a lot of different places, but have a central core. So for Mm -hmm. example, I am a thinker, a thought leader, an inspirational philosopher. I teach Torah, I impact, I travel, I speak. But the way that the system works is that hundreds of thousands of people are being impacted by what I do. Then you can buy my safer, buy my book, the journey mm-hmm. itself. That's not how I make it, right? Uh, I, it's, it, people think that's how you make money. It's a best-selling book. We sold out in three weeks. I don't know if I'm ever going to see a dime from the book itself. What the book does is it gets you great speaking gigs. So then you're going to communities, you get paid to speak at conferences, you get paid to speak on great platforms. What that does, it gets people intrigued into what you do, and then they learn more about you. So then I have a masterclass. It's a 10-week course that fundamentally transforms people's lives. It's affordable enough that anyone can take it. And that's for, you know, hundreds of people have already taken it. It's been incredible. But then you have the next tier, which is coaching. And there are levels of coaching, but I'm coaching CEOs and leaders and people who will pay a lot of money for real transformation because they bought in from lower levels. Then you also have different levels. So I have a lot of colleagues in real estate and stocks and things like that. I'm, you know, early on in that stage, but that's how you turn money into more money. Of course. Then you start to understand how people are coming all different ways. You're making money in different ways. You're turning money into more money. And then as you make more money, you spend money on what's important to you. You give tzedakah, you create experiences, you support things that are important to you. And then you funnel it right back into the business so that the business can fundamentally and exponentially expand. And mm-hmm. basically... That's why it's neither spending nor saving, but really investing. And the best way to invest is go back investing into yourself. A hundred percent. Today, I'm most grateful for. I'm most grateful for life itself. I, I don't take that for granted at all. Ever since I had my near-death experience, I, I really tried to be grateful for life. And when you're grateful for life, then you're also grateful for everything in life. You're grateful for your, your spouse, your children, your family, the fact that you're able to think, you're able to learn. By the way, everyone is a leader. Everyone's an impactor. You are a leader and impactor in your family, in your friendships, in your community. Every person you come into contact with, you impact. But how you impact is your choice. So I'm grateful 
potential for the level of impact, but it started with having literally like two people would listen to a share. One person would come up to a share. A post would get like no likes and three engaged, you know, it'll reach three people. But when you are able to appreciate every single aspect of life, then you can start to grow because you realize how significant every single brick is. You want to build a skyscraper? One brick at a time. So gratitude comes from the small things and then it expands. So I'm very grateful for life itself. Mm, beautiful. Finally, I'm Shmuel Reichman, and I believe Jewish money matters because... I believe Jewish money matters, and specifically Jewish money, because money within simply allows the impact and building within to continue to mm. flourish. So Jewish money, like, think about how that works. Think about a tree that blossoms. That's really what Jewish money is. It's this accelerated exponential growth of everything we find valuable to become more impact, right? So a yeshiva, a, a school an institution, an organization, a shul that has more money, it expands, it's, it's more vibrant, it's more impactful, it's more vibrant, it's able to do the things it wants to do. So for me personally, money has allowed me to engage on the most incredible journey that I am currently on and continue to try to impact and inspire and share all the ideas, a lot of the ideas that we lay down today. But Jewish money allows everything that we value in life to flourish, to grow, to blossom, and to simply be focused on achieving the goals that we know are true, which is our Avodah Hashem, devoting our lives to the truth and really fulfilling our ultimate purpose. Beautiful. Shmuel Reichman, tell us where we can find you because we we want, I'm, I'm sure everybody's going to want more. <laughs> so everything, that's also one thing that's good. You want to have a centralized location. So everything I do, uh, all my shirim, all my courses, my masterclass, my book, my coaching, speaking, everything's on my website, shmuelreichman.com. S-H-M-U-E-L-R-E-I-C-H-M-E-N.com. And that's where you can contact me. You can find all my content, all my sharing, everything I do. And that's really the best place. I'm also everywhere on social media. And I would say the best place for everyone is the website because that has everything, uh, regardless of whether you social media or not, that has everything in one place. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your time. I kept you over time, but this was so good. I so appreciate it. And I, I hope that we continue to connect and do really good things together for every everybody, Klaus Israel and everybody. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine and I wish the same as well. Looking forward. Thanks again to Rabbi Shmuel Reichman for stopping by to connect with him and check out the Self Mastery Academy as well as tons of his content. Head over to shmuelreichman.com. I hope everyone's summer is going well. I will see you here Friday to answer your money questions, your Jewish money questions, life questions, whatever's on your mind. Be sure to send those in via DM on Instagram at Yael Trush, email Yael at Yael Trush, or you can always WhatsApp the number 832-317-6778. That's 832-317-6778. You can voice note or type in your question. Once again, if you have a recession-specific question, we've collected all of those and are working on an episode for you, but you might still have time to send those in. So be sure to connect with me. Any question you're struggling with, we are here to help. You know where to find me. Have a great week.